L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, and stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You are listening to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. Yo, yo, I'ma keep it modest, yo, I'm something like a miracle. If I'm being honest, yo, inside I'm feeling terrible. Try to keep it light, give you something that's satirical. Put a whack rapper right into the walls of Jericho. What are you prepared to do? Hunt him like a caribou. See you while you stunting, by you frontin', I ain't hear you. Waiting on reparations, coming and we stare fools. Run rap circles, wear them out like a pair of shoes. Ooh, hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Dope Knife. And you are listening to Waiting on Reparations. I hope everybody's Labor Day and all that was straight. You know, I hope it was more eventful than mine. Nah, you know what? I take that back. I hope I hope that your Labor Day was more eventful, but as enjoyable as mine. How about that? I did not do a damn thing. I am plugged. And I uh, caught up on some shows that I hadn't watched. I checked out that boys joint, The Boys. I I used to read the comic book back in the day, but I checked that out. And then I also checked out that show Invincible. And that was pretty cool, too. So a lot of superhero shit for one weekend, <laughs> which isn't normally my jam in the slightest bit. But... Um, you know, both of those shows were pretty cool. I dug them. It was a cool way to spend uh, a holiday weekend just vegged out on the couch with the time to actually just relax and do that. So I enjoyed myself. Once again, we are on another week of Mariah being on maternity leave. So let's all wish Mariah well and hopefully she'll get back. There's so many things that I want to talk about with Mariah. Especially since I unplugged this weekend (laughs) and let a lot of things skip me by. I'm just thinking about some of the episodes of stuff that we're going to have to talk about with you guys. Like, we got to talk about all the crazy shit in Texas. We we have to. I mean, that shit is looking like Gilead and shit. They were like, screw it. You can't. You can't vote. You can't have abortions. You can't teach about Martin Luther King in school no more. Puppies is illegal in Texas now and shit. It's crazy. 
So we got to talk about that. Oh, we also have to talk about um, Brazil and the Trump official Jason Miller getting detained at the airport after inciting a damn near riot. But in in all um in all realness, though, um, they're having you know some right wing pro Bolsonaro protests. As of today, I don't know what will have been what will be going down by the time you guys hear this. And honestly, I want to get Mariah's uh, thoughts on the Kanye West Donda album and the Drake Certified Lover Boy album. In the two albums in juxtaposition or comparison to each other, and just you know, it's a hip hop show, and those are the two big event things happening in hip hop right now that. You know, Mariah's been gone, so we have, you know, I want to discuss that with her when she gets back. Even though I really want to rid talking about Kanye <laughs> on the show, but got to do what we got to do. So, um, you know, hope when Mariah gets back, we're going to get into those sort of things. But today we have another dope episode for you, and Mariah is going to be with us by way of an interview. She's going to be talking with Dr. Mark Katz, who's a professor at the University of North Carolina and the founder of the State Department program Next Level. I would get all into that, but they're going to cover it all in the interview and more. So you guys stay tuned. We're going to be right back with that after the jump. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, and stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
So today I'm joined by Professor Mark Katz, author of Build, The Power of Hip-Hop Diplomacy in a Divided World. Based on his experiences as founding director of Next Level, a U.S. State Department-funded program that sends U.S. hip-hop artists abroad to foster cultural exchange, conflict transformation, and entrepreneurship. Professor Katz also teaches courses on music and technology, popular music, and cultural diplomacy at the University of North Carolina. Dr. Katz, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm good, and thanks for inviting me. I'm really happy to be talking with you. Sweet, me too. Um, to start out, I'm really curious how one just ends up in the business of, of hip-hop diplomacy, given your background in teaching music and technology. So how did this sort of unfold for you? Well, it's uh, like a lot of things, it's not a, a direct path, and I didn't set out to do this, but I had been doing research on hip-hop for years. I had written a book about DJing. Um, I studied DJing. Uh, I taught classes with hip-hop artists. And by the way, I consider myself more of a hip-hop scholar than practitioner. Um, I do a little DJing, but um, I came at this as a scholar and teacher. And uh, I have to give credit to um, to a great musician, a rapper, and singer, and activist, and politician named Pierce Freelon, uh, who um, told me about this opportunity from the State Department. He he found uh, the call for proposals for a project of uh, that came to be known as Next Level. That didn't it wasn't called that at the time, but he said, "Hey, Mark, there's this amazing opportunity." Um, we should go for it. And I had been working with him. I was uh, chair of the music department at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and I'd hired him to um, to teach a or co-teach a beat making class. And he saw this opportunity. He said, go, "You know, this looks a lot like the kinds of things that we're already doing, and um, in terms of working." with the hip-hop community and connecting students with practitioners and uh and he said this just looks like an amazing op opportunity so i thought okay you know i'll apply for it it was this massive application that uh that i had to do in a couple weeks but it, because i didn't learn about it until you know a few weeks before the deadline and um amazingly uh, it came through <laughs> and i had to figure out how to create a hip-hop diplomacy program. Yeah, and so it kind of built somewhat off of, or you had experience already in working internationally. I think you worked at a youth center in the Democratic Republic of Congo, is that correct? Well, yes, but more specifically, um, Pierce Freelon and a uh, another artist, uh, a producer named Apple Juice Kid, yeah. went there and uh, I had first taught this uh, beat making class with uh, with Apple Juice, and then he started working with um, with Pierce, and then I heard about this opportunity from a colleague to do some work in, in Congo, and uh, we were able to raise money to send them to Congo. I actually went later, so um, but that led to um, a, a big series of two week workshops around the world called Beat Making Lab. 
So was the, did you find there to be a steep learning curve with trying to build out a program for a lot of different cultural and national contexts around the world as a part of Next Level? Or what sorts of experiences were transferable from those beat making workshops into actually working with the State Department? Well, I would say there was both a steep learning curve and a lot that we were able to transfer. Um, because the, the steep learning curve part was were things that were very specific to working in diplomacy and with the State Department. Uh, for one thing, in government, there are millions of acronyms that, you know, don't, you know, you just have to learn what they are and no one tells you. They just speak in acronyms and then you have to figure it out. Um, and then they're just, it's actually just a, a culture unto itself, the world of bureaucracy and diplomacy. So there's a lot of a lot of learning about what the what practices are, what the structures are, and all that. Um, so that was that was a bit steep, uh, but uh, but I also knew my way around bureaucracies, having uh, been a chair uh, and being a chair at a you know music department at a big university. So I got that part, but the um, uh, but the transferable transferable skills. We're, we're really just the the concept of building, and uh, my book is called Build, and that's the yeah. I wanted concept. to ask you about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was uh, it was the it's it's a term that I had heard a lot, but then uh, after hearing it for a while, I I realized that actually this is a this is a central concept of a central kind of guiding concept and value in the work that I'm doing, which is not not so much teaching, not so much bestowing knowledge on others or, uh, you know, dropping science, but it's working together and it's it's creating something together that you couldn't do alone. And I would say that was probably the, the most important concept or worldview that, that I, uh, that I learned from hip hop and I credit hip hop with teaching me that because I'd been a teacher for many years and the model is, you know, the teacher has all the information and, and gives it to the students. And, and I can't say I was one of those types that just stood up and lectured all the time. I always uh, preferred a collaborative approach. But when, when I would hear people talking about building and saying, um, you know, I don't want these Americans coming into Zimbabwe and, and teaching us hip hop. I want to build with them. Yeah. That really clarified for me what hip-hop diplomacy is about. It's about Americans, U.S. citizens building collaboratively with hip-hop artists around the world. Yeah, and so I was curious if this concept of building that is very central to hip-hop, y'all, let's link, let's build, let's collab, um, if there's like a, if there's a, an analog, if you found there to be an analog in other cultural contexts where you all are working, where they have the similar ethos of like, yo, let's link, let's, let's build, you know, and, and, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there are concepts like that in a lot of cultures, but the interesting thing is that people use the specific English word build. Really? Uh, yeah. Wow. And, um, so it is, uh, you know. That's the word that they used in Zimbabwe. That's a word I heard in, um, in Myanmar. It's a word. I mean, I've heard it all over the world. And um, and it's funny just on that on that point about hip hop slang or language. Um, you know, I would say 
like, what do you call an argument, you know, that that people in hip hop have? And they say, well, it's a beef, you know, mm-hmm. like they would use the word, the English word beef, even though it was, you know, it was not their language. So um, it was always kind of surprising to me how the language and ethos of hip hop has spread around the world. But I will say it's not like it was it's not a kind of colonizing or imperialistic spread. It's more like concepts that are native to hip hop connected with concepts that were native in other countries and just found a connection. So um, one thing that was that I always felt going to other countries, I could be in a place and most of the time I was in a place I'd never been before was that the connection between the artists coming from the U.S. and the artists in the country we visited was more like not a diplomatic delegation of, of country of you know men in suits and meeting each other for the first time, but more like a family reunion where you meet cousins for the first time. You you've never met them, but they're family. So there's an automatic kind of connection. And that's how it felt to me. Awesome. It sounds amazing. Um, but you did mention um, imperialism. And I wanted to ask some about, you know, artists, particularly, you know, within hip hop, there is a very anti-authoritarian stance. Oftentimes there is, you know, critique of the government. And so, so um, uh, some artists had some qualms or, you know, dealt internally with some questions about how they felt about going abroad and, you know, working with the State Department. So um, could you talk some about um, how artists grappled with their distrust of the U.S. government or their embrace of the opportunity of travel and how those questions of, you know, being a part of of the, the state apparatus in a certain way was dealt with um, by various people you worked with? Well, it's a good question, and it's a question I basically ask every single person, every hip hop artist uh, that I worked with, because I was I was curious about it, and I wanted to know what would make them feel comfortable with the idea of working with the government. And I got a lot of different answers, but but basically, what it comes down to is the idea of, of agency and autonomy. Could the artist? honor or could the project honor the agency of the individual artists and let them act as as the artists they want to be did they have the autonomy to say what they want to to build in the way they want and if the answer is yes then like okay i can i can work with these people because they're allowing me to be the person i am the artist i am and they're paying me and um you know, there's also a sense of, of this is the real world, meaning that I've come across, uh, and it's I have to say it's usually uh, other academics who will kind of, uh, you know, sniff at this and say, oh, yeah, so you're just turning these poor hip hop artists into imperialists. And, you know, my thought is, well, first of all, uh, I don't have that kind of power to turn, you know, hip hop artists in. Like, they do what they want, you know. Yeah. I, it's like, don't don't give me the, the credit, uh, which I don't want, of being able to turn these incredibly strong-willed uh, artists into puppets of, of the U.S. government. But then there's also the kind of the blinders that those of us, and I include myself, uh, who who enjoy a certain privilege in life, 
to be able to criticize those who have to make hard decisions about who to work with, about where to take money, um, about what opportunities to take. And I spent a lot of time talking with hip hop artists and just listening. And I remember one conversation where, uh, where a group, of, and these were all um, men who were talking about, and they were all from different cities in the US. And what they said is, and they all agreed with each other, um, that it wasn't a question of whether they were going to join a gang. It was which gang would they join? Like they simply did not have the option not to be in that life. But from a certain vantage point or a certain privileged vantage point, you could say, well, you always have a choice and um, and might criticize people for making these choices. And that's uh, what I learned is that's not the real world for a lot of uh, a lot of artists. Um, and of course, there are there are people fearing degrees of privilege within hip hop. I'm not trying to uh, to paint with a really broad brush, but but the reality is, if uh, if the government is coming to you and saying we're going to pay you and we're going to pay you money that that you might not be able to make otherwise and you're going to get to travel as an artist it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for people to turn that down just without even thinking about it so um so i would say you know the there's a lot of sophisticated thinking that goes into this and one thing i always appreciated was that that no one went in thinking that there wasn't the possibility of, of being compromised or being used. It was just like, I'm going in with my eyes wide open and I'm going to, I'm going to be careful and I'm going to try to be the artist I want to be. But I do know that there's a possibility of, of compromise or exploitation. But the fact is that's, that's life, really. That's, you know, that's not different from from deciding whether to uh, take a job, you know, uh, do a gig for Sprite or for, mm-hmm. you know, Nike, you know, or for a school or for, a you know, an NGO or a university. So, I mean, the thing is, to be clear, I'm not trying to say the, uh, the government, the U.S. government doesn't have a, a very specific history of exploitation. It does. And one of the things that I always, um, that I have tried to do is to educate myself about that history. So I actually can can talk about any number of times that the U.S. government has overthrown other countries. Have, oh, yeah. Has, oh, yeah. Un- <laughs> you know, I could tell you about the coups in, you know, Guatemala or mm-hmm. Iran or, you know, assassinations in, uh, in Congo. Um, and all that. So I don't pretend that this is not part of our history. But one thing that I appreciate about the artists I work with is they say, look, if, if they, uh, the government should be hiring me, you know, rather than, than doing all the stuff that, that I criticize them for, finally, they're doing something good with the money and hiring me yeah. <laughs> as an artist. So there are a lot of, you know, I'm, there's a lot more to say about that, but it's it's nuanced and it's something that I, you know, would really want people who are not in who are looking in from the outside to understand that that these are very sophisticated thinkers who are dealing with 
with a world that does not allow them to just stand on the sidelines. Yeah. And in the book, you talk a lot about like subversive complicity, like people who just like, mm -hmm. they come in, they represent where they're from, what they vow, what their politics are. So I wonder on the flip side, what then was the State Department's handling of like the artists just kind of being who they are, while also, you know, being tasked with you know, supposedly representing the U.S. government in these different contexts? Well, it's tricky for them uh, because, you know, we've had artists who will just say, I am... I'm an anti-imperialist yeah. and the U.S. is an imperialist country. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, most of the time, the reality is, is that we don't have people just following us around all the time, watching everything. So um, the the reality is that that if, you know, we go to a, you know, a certain country and one of the artists wants to connect with people and and, you know, have tea and talk about, you know, their anti-imperialist views, that's that happens, um, and um, now I actually don't think that the people at the embassy would try to stop that. Um, they, uh, you know, there is a certain amount of discomfort, but I think they just have to deal with it. And there was um, uh, there is an occasion. I think I do mention this in the book, where where one of our artists, Pinky Ring, very outspoken, amazing MC from Chicago. Um, had a song called uh, Revolution, Revolution, and you know she um, just, just you know, just laid into police and to Trump and to the government, and she actually performed this at the ambassador's residence in Cambodia. You know this, and uh, and the people from the embassy afterwards kind of gently came up and said, you know, maybe don't perform that at our public show, you know, tomorrow. And the response of the team was, no, we're going to perform it. And, um, and, I, and, you know, uh, and the world didn't end, you know, it was actually, a, it was fine. You had American artists criticizing their own government. And um, I know, you know, I'm sure that it made people feel uncomfortable at the embassy. But on the other hand, if you want proof that that these aren't puppets and you know these hip-hop artists are speaking their mind well having them criticize the boss you know the president at that time was trump um should be a, you know pretty clear proof that the u.s allows its citizens to criticize its government yeah and so in a way i think you speak about this in the book somewhat like actually building more with the people who in these contexts that may be critical of US government as well. It's like, yo, I actually feel you on that. <laughs> I'm on the same page. But yeah, um, we've talked about a couple different forms of internal conflict or conflict with like, yeah, the messaging of different artists versus like the goals of the State Department. And in chapter two, you say, in seeking to transform conflict, you were also courting it. And it makes you think of, um, I don't know if you remember that Dave Chappelle sketch, like keeping a real goes wrong. Like what if they get into these like kind of comical uh, conflicts because you know, they're just representing and then it, it, it goes poorly. So I wondered if you could unpack what that means a little bit, courting conflict in these contexts, as well as if you could speak some about the idea of conflict transformation. Yeah, thanks. So I'll start with conflict transformation. So that's a less common term than conflict resolution. But the idea is that instead of resolving a beef between two groups it's a more general term for transforming conflict meaning 
harnessing conflict, which is in our lives and is inescapable. We rec- we actually uh, recognize that conflict is part of life and it's not something that can be avoided. So really the question is not how do you avoid conflict, but how do you transform that energy into something positive? So, um, and art is a great way to do that. I mean, we anyone who knows the history of hip hop knows that it transforms conflict into rhyme, into dance, into beats, into graffiti, into writing, and so on. So that's the that's the idea behind conflict transformation, that we're not going in there trying to break up fights because you have to know the history, uh, you have to know the history much more than than we can and the culture in order to mediate a conflict. And we're not sent in as mediators. And that's that gets the idea of courting conflict because if you think about it, let's say, you know, you see two people arguing um, just on the street and you go in and you say, hey, you know, can't you two get along? Yeah. <laughs> like, who are you? Yeah, get out of here. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like, who, like, what the hell do you know? Um, yeah. And, um, and, you know, and that's just like someone in your own culture. It could be someone in your own family. Now imagine going to another country representing the U.S. government and trying to step in the middle of some could be generations or centuries long conflict and saying, um, okay, here's what you're going to do. Um, I mean, it's yeah, Oh, everybody terrible. calm down. It's like, no, man, <laughs> you don't know what's been going on out here for like, yeah, it could be centuries. <laughs> exactly. So it's, it actually to do that is to show the worst kind of, kind of ugly American uh, you know, caricature, which is that we're arrogant, that we we go into uh, into situations that we uh, without knowing what we're doing. So, so we try to avoid that. We try to go in asking questions. We um, we listen. We show respect. We try to learn as much as we can, and we try to respect people by not trying by trying by avoiding trying to solve their problems for them but instead using hip hop as a means to develop tools that they could use to express themselves. And um, and so even then, I should say, we could still be creating problems that we don't know about. I mean, our, our mere existence can create problems because I've seen this happen. We come in and I mean, it's it's pretty easy to understand when you step back and think about it. But let's say somebody from another country comes in and into your community and says, I'm going to teach your students how to do what you teach them. And, you know, people might say, well, I'm, I'm not sure that I want you doing that. And um, and that is that has happened even before we say anything or mere existence can create conflict. So. We have to go in, and I've I've seen this over and over again, and kind of show our you know you know our our intent, our you know demonstrate our respect. So you know I've had conversations where people kind of stand there with their arms crossed, kind of staring at us, and and over the course of a couple hours, we'll kind of relax, and like okay, we get it, we we understand why you're here. So. One, um, that's one reason why we always take uh, an advanced trip before the residency. So a couple of people, the manager of the residency and someone else, sometimes just the manager, but we'll go and meet with a bunch of people before anything else happens and just get to know them. So that paves the way for a, for a smoother residency. And that is really crucial because just showing up and on day one and saying, 
you know, snapping your fingers and saying, okay, here's how it's going to be done is not the way to create mutual respect and understanding. Mutual understanding is the language that State Department uses, and it's not the way to build with people. You talked a little bit about um, some potential like barriers you would encounter upon entering new contexts, but then also ways of transcending them. Were there any limitations to hip hop diplomacy that you felt like, well, this is just the line for this work? <laughs> well, there, are, yes, I mean, there are always cultural differences that, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, there's, it's, it's better just to be respectful and not go there. So, for example, um, you know, we went to Jordan and, you know, um, Israel is just saying the word Israel, the name Israel in Jordan, it's almost like a fighting word, even if you're not saying anything positive about Israel, yeah. you know, and, and um, I learned that, <laughs> and, you know, I learned that the hard way. I, and I didn't say anything positive about Israel. I just said, I made like some parenthetical remark about how, um, you know, Israel was a neighbor and, and, you know, I was talking about conflict and say, you know, you might have conflict with neighbors. And just saying that name was enough to get people really riled up and upset with me. And I was like, whoa, 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 I didn't, you know. Damn, yeah. I and it's like, okay, I just, I should not have gone there. And there is, there is nothing that, that, you know, uh, good intentions would have helped in that situation. So what I learned, sometimes you just have to shut up and, and really, um, I mean, this is a kind of truism, but it reminds me, you, you got to stick to what you know. And, um, and if you don't know what you're talking about, don't talk. And sometimes, and that actually is hard to do. And I will say it's hard for Americans to do because we're told that we're exceptional, that we're the greatest country in the world. And we have to actually push against that kind of indoctrination that we've experienced and and come in with humility and realize that there's a lot we don't know i want to thank you again so much for taking the time out to chat with me the book is called build the power of hip-hop diplomacy in a divided world tons of fascinating stories of hip-hop artists in different countries different hijinks and different lessons um about uh the, the power of hip-hop diplomacy as well as its limitations so i recommend y'all check it out and dr katz thanks again for your time well thank you this has been a lot of fun i really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you l-a-s-i-k lasik.com have a ton of questions about lasik you're not alone that's why we created lasik.com one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. culture. And a little bit of... 
Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, and stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. That was the interview. You know, listening to stuff like that, I, I always love it because it makes me feel like a certain amount of uh, pride in being a hip hopper or hip hop head or hip hop artist or just involved with like hip hop culture because it's just like, you know, you can literally use <laughs> hip hop for anything, you know, uh, we've mentioned before using it as a tool in education using it in politics it's just it's beautiful shit beautiful shit but that's what we got for this week next week i don't want to give any false advertisements but i think mariah may be back next week if she isn't it's going to be like the last week that she's gone pretty sure but i will see you guys next week and i'm going to close this off like we close off every episode with a little bit of rapping Hey, yo, you know what? We ain't even got to get a new beat, yo. Hey, Joel, just turn this shit up. Let me, let me go in. Yo, 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 yo. Now hip hop, a hip, a hip it to the dope knife popping. It don't stop the rock until the rhyme stop dropping. And I'm caught by the cops and they lock me till I'm back on the street. <laughs> now thank y'all for tuning in to waiting to reparate. Love y'all so much. Hope that we never separate. Give a like, a comment, maybe an extra play. Now it's time that I be out. Y'all have the best of day. Hey, hey, hey. You are rocking with Dope Knife, the rap wizard. <laughs> and you are listening to Waiting on Reparations. See y'all next week. Waiting on Reparations is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. culture. And a little bit of 
Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, and stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.